0: You have your Bibles with you this morning? Would you open them please to 1 Thessalonians. We're in a sermon series on Sunday morning entitled A Church Looking for Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Title of this message, The Characteristics of a Healthy Church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning with verse 4, the words of the greatest Christian man who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Thessalonica and to Miles Road Baptist Church. He says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in the power of in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not just in Macedonia Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which has delivered us from the wrath to come. Let me begin by asking you a question. What is the condition of the church in America today? What is the state of the church in America today? What is the health of the church in America today? According to every person of reputation that I have read, and there's quite a few of them, they all say essentially the same thing. The church in America in 2015 is in pitiful shape. These experts have said, and I believe this to be true, that 90%, 90%, 9 out of every 10 churches in America are sick, dying, or dead. Did you catch that? 9 out of every 10 churches in this country are in a state of sickness and a state of dying or they're dead, and many of them don't even know it. They're zombie churches. Now, these statistics seem to run the gamut. They're, it doesn't matter how, what type of church you have. It doesn't matter the size of church you have. It doesn't matter the worship style of church you have. It doesn't matter the age of the church. It doesn't matter the location of the church. It doesn't matter the facilities of the church. It doesn't matter the bank account of the church. All of those things seem to have no bearing on it. You can be big, you can be little, you can be contemporary, you can be traditional, you can be rich, you can be poor, you can be Baptist, you can be Methodist, you can be non-denominational. It doesn't matter. 90% of these churches that make up the American landscape are sick, they're dying, or they're dead. Now what are the characteristics of a sick church, or a dying church, or a dead church? Because just like When you have a certain disease, there's characteristics or symptoms that help a doctor make the diagnosis. It's true of churches. And it seems that whenever a church becomes sick and it begins to decline, to die, and it becomes eventually dead, the symptoms come in clusters. You're not just going to see one or two. You will see them come in groups. You will see them come in clusters as the decline accelerates. Now, what are some of the characteristics of a church in decline? Let me give you 15 of them. I could give you 100 of them, but time does not permit that. Let me just give you a quick 15. And as I'm talking, I want you to think about your church. If you're a person at Miles Road Baptist Church, is this something that we need to be concerned about? If you're from another church and you're visiting with us today, is this something your church needs to be concerned about? The first sign, the first characteristic of a sick, dying, or dead church is this. They refuse, they absolutely refuse to embrace or minister to the community that is around them. We don't want those people in our church. They're not our class. They're not our culture. They're not our color. They're not our checkbook. They don't have our countenance. We don't want them. Second characteristic of a sick, dying, or dead church. They have reduced spending. They have reduced their financial commitment to evangelism and mission. The Great Commission has become the great omission. Winning people to Jesus is no longer their priority. They're more concerned about fellowships and building buildings. Thirdly, they have dated, dirty, broken facilities. They have no pride in the appearance of... Of what God has given them. Sloppiness. Number four, the people of the church do not witness their faith anymore. They're the silent majority. They don't invite people to come to church anymore. If they want to come, fine. If they don't come, fine. Who cares? They've lost their passion for reaching others. Fifthly, the church is filled with turf battles. People fighting all the time over protecting their little ministerial territory. This is mine. You keep your hands off of it. I run this. Churches like that have the tail wagging the dog. Sixthly, sick, dying, and dead churches have no respect for pastoral or ministerial leadership. That's why every two to three years, they're always looking for a new pastor. It's a cycle. Every two or three years, one pastor is brought in, another one's gone. Another one brought in, another one gone. If you look at the history, it's a sad history, a sad commentary. Number seven, Sick, dying, and dead churches are led by unspiritual men and women in leadership positions. Alcohol drinking, tobacco using, skirt chasing, arrogant acting, negative talking, people run the church. And they were put there because the people won't say anything about them. Prayer is generalized and minimized. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does it. Churches that are sick, dying, or dead, they have no identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know where they're going. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They have no idea what the future holds. All they do is have church every Sunday. No master plan about anything. The church is unstable and all it does when you see a sick dying or dead church. There's always instability. There's constantly change being made. There's no foundation that's ever built on. It. The foundation is constantly being tore up by every new program, fad or trend that comes down the pike. The people don't know what to expect because there's nothing to expect. There is no foundation. Churches that are sick, dying, or dead, they they put up with failure. They allow things that fail to keep on failing because they don't have the courage to change them. And change is a cuss word in those churches. God forbid we change anything. We've always done it that way. Mediocrity is expected. People sing and don't know their songs. Preachers preach and they're not prepared. Sunday school teachers teach and they haven't studied. Nobody knows what in the world's going on because everybody flies by the seat of their britches and wings it. And it shows. And sick, dying, or dead churches, troublemakers, and peace breakers are allowed to continually disrupt, and nobody says anything. Every business meeting turns into a battleground. Sick, dying, or dead churches have a culture. Listen to me, a culture of failure and mediocrity that I've already mentioned. It's not just a season of it, it's an entire culture of it. That's all the people ever know. And then lastly, sin is condoned or covered up for some people. There's a double standard about who we're going to say anything to. If you're a big giver, you can be a womanizer because you're a big giver. If you've got a lot of family, you can be a gossip. We're not going to say nothing to you either. There's a double standard by which sin is measured. You see, those are the symptoms. That's the diagnosis. That's the characteristics of 90% of the churches in America today, and some of you have been there before. And these churches are sick, they're dying, and they're dead. No wonder Jesus, when he looked into the, the last days of history, no wonder Jesus made a profound statement He said, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find any faith at all? Will he find any church that's healthy? Will he find any Christians that are healthy? Will all he find is sick, dying, and dead churches who have no faith and they're faithless? Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, our Lord's coming soon. You say, I don't believe it. Well, you're just a sign he is. Because the Bible said in the last days, skeptics and scoffers would come saying, where's he at? So you keep disbelieving. That just means he's coming quicker. But we're living in the final days of history, of our nation, of our church as we know it. But by God's grace and our efforts, let's be a healthy church. Let's be a ten percenter. Well, Pastor... How do you become a healthy church? How can we maintain if we be one and improve on it if we be one? Well, remember, listen carefully. The church is not a building, is it? The church is not a program, Baptist people. The church is people. This church will never be any better or any worse than you. And me. The church is people. And the strength of a church is people, and the strength of people is a person. So if we want to be, have a healthy people, we've got to be a healthy person. If we want to have, be a healthy church, we've got to have healthy people. And so that's what we're going to see in the text that we read. We're going to see how you and I can be healthy. Because listen, if you're healthy, we can be healthy. And if we be healthy, this thing we call Miles Road Baptist Church can be healthy. And if we're healthy as a church, our light can shine into the darkness. Our salt can be scattered into the decay. We can make a difference. Does that get you excited? To make a difference. Not just to be sitting here, doing nothing, but actually making a difference for eternity. What can we do? Well, let's look now, if we may, at our verses. A healthy church, characteristic number one. Now remember, a church is people. A healthy church is filled with, with chosen people. Chosen people. Not frozen. Chosen. Okay? Because some of you are starting to freeze up. Okay, A healthy church is filled with chosen people. Look at verse 4. Knowing brethren. This is Paul speaking. Beloved, knowing brethren, beloved. Your election of God. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, election of God, because that phrase and other phrases similar to it cause a lot of controversy, cause a lot of argument, cause a lot of debate among many people who call themselves Christians. Some people spend all their life wanting to fuss and fight about things. And this causes a lot of fussing and fighting among good people. This phrase, election of God. Now, you've got two sides, basically, that go after each other. Side number one argues that salvation is 100% absolutely, unconditionally of God and God alone. God chooses who will be saved, and God saves them. If you're one of the special chosen by God to be saved, God is going to save you no matter what, irregardless of what. You will be saved. You will be blessed. You will go to heaven. And the rest of us who are not specially chosen of God Too bad. You will be forever cursed and go to hell. Now that's one side. Case closed. It's all about the sovereignty of God. His will be done. Period. No more discussion. Well, whenever you've got a right, you've got a what? A left. So you've got another side of Christianity. Also filled with good people. These aren't bad people. These are good people who want to argue. You ever met good people who want to argue? (laughs) I know none of you are like that. But on the other side is another group. And they say, well, our dear brothers over there, we love them, God bless them, but they're wrong. (laughs) Salvation is not all of God, it's all of man. It's all of us. We choose to be saved or we do not choose to be saved. To those of us who say yes to Jesus and keep saying yes to Jesus, we will be saved and we will go to heaven. To those who say no to Jesus or to those who say yes to Jesus but somewhere along the line they change their minds, say no again, they will not be saved, and they will not go to heaven, they'll go to hell. To this crowd, God is not in control, man is in control, not his will be done, our will will be done. So that's what you get. When you hear about this election of God, you got the sovereignty of God crowd over here, and you got the free will of man crowd over here. You've got the hyper-Calvinist over here. You've got the hyper-Ominiist over here. Pastor, who's right? They both are. Who's wrong? They both are. Pastor, are you running for office? You sound like a politician. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. No. Actually, they're both right and they're both wrong. Learn something from your pastor today that might bid you well one day. On every doctrine taught in the Bible, there's always an extreme left and extreme right. You know where the truth is in the middle? If you'll keep yourself in the middle, you will always be pretty much where God is. God is not a God of extremism. God is a God of moderation. And God is usually in the middle on most things. So what does the Bible teach about this thing called the election of God? What does God, the Bible teach? Not what the Calvinists teach. Not what the Arminians teach. But what does the Scriptures teach? Don't you think that would be a good place to go? Well, first of all, God chooses all men to be saved. Are you listening to your pastor? God chooses all men to be saved. You say, is that your opinion? Oh, no, I wouldn't give you my opinion. This is what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, verse 1. It is the will of God, it is the will of God, that none should perish, but all should come to life. All should come to life. So God chooses that all men be saved. Secondly, God provides a way for all men to be saved. Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for a few. He died for us all. So when Jesus Christ hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, suspended between heaven and earth on a horizontal and vertical beam, when his precious blood was being shed, when his life was being drained out of his body, when he was paying for the sins of the world, he was paying for the sins of everyone. Everyone. From Charles Manson to Jim Palmer, he was paying for the sins of everyone. God chooses all men to be saved. God has made a way for all men to be saved Through the cross in Jesus Christ. God sends his Holy Spirit. To convict all men. Of their need of a savior. Because they're a sinner. Where do you. Do you think we just come up with that idea? The spirit of the living God. Goes on a mission to every man. Every woman. Every boy. Every girl. To every person. And he brings Reproof to that person. What does he reproof the person of? Their sin. What does he illuminate in that person? Jesus is the Savior. There's no one without excuse. The Spirit of God speaks in some way, some fashion to every person who has ever lived. And He reveals to them their sinfulness in His savedness. then we have to make a decision. When we discover we're a sinner, when we discover He is the only Savior, not the best Savior, the only Savior, we have to make it a choice what to do with Him. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're the whosoever, I'm the whosoever. What must we do? We must make a choice to do what? call upon the name of the Lord. And when we call, He will come and save us. Those who say yes. Now pay attention. Those who say yes. I'm a sinner. He's a Savior. I know it. I want Him. I invite Him to come in my life and save me of my sins. I put my faith in Him and Him alone. I repent. I turn from my wicked ways. I want to be righteous. To those who do that, they become ears on God's elect. Those who choose Jesus become God's elect. They, ears on again, are predestined. Oh, another bad word. They're predestined to be made like Jesus and to be with Him one day in heaven. To those who choose not, Jesus, they are predestined to, to not be conformed into his image, to stay in the image in which they were created, which is the image of the devil, and go and join the devil one day in eternity in a place called hell. Does that make sense to you? It starts with God. He loves us. It starts with Jesus Christ. He died for us. It starts with the Holy Spirit who comes to us. And when the Trinity presents that salvation to us, we've got to make a choice. And when we choose yes, we become elect. We're predestined to be like Jesus. We go to heaven. If we say no, we're not the elect. We're not predestined. We're not going to heaven. say, Pastor, all that's interesting. I still don't know what you're talking about, but it's interesting. But what's that got to do with the healthy church? That's what we're talking about. You got off the track. No, I didn't. Because if you're going to have a healthy church, you've got to have chosen people. And chosen people are saints. And non-chosen people are ain'ts. You can build a church with saints, but you can't build a church with ain'ts. And Paul understood that in his day, there were churches filled with unbelievers. And unbelievers cannot be a healthy church. Oh, the people were nice people. They were pious. They were spiritual. They had religion. But none of them had been born again by the power of God in Jesus Christ. So Paul says to that church, if if you're going to be a healthy church looking for Jesus, you've got to be filled with chosen people. Men and women who've given their life to Christ. Not to a philosophy, not to a church, not to a religion. They've given their life to Christ. And they're chosen. So, if we're going to be a healthy church, we've got to have you saved. Are you saved? Are you chosen of God? Because God chose you, did you choose Him? Secondly, The second characteristic of a healthy church is not only do you have a chosen membership, people saved, but you have a changed membership, people that have been sanctified by the power of God. Look at verse 5. For our gospel, the good news that led you to the Lord, came not unto you in word only. Interesting but also in power. Now, where did that power come from? From the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. All right, now follow the progression. We want to have a healthy church. Well, first of all, we have to have chosen people, people that have been saved by the grace of God through Christ Jesus because they wanted to be saved as God presented that salvation. And then the evidence of that salvation is that you become a changed person who's being conformed into the image of Jesus, predestination, being conformed into the image of Jesus, as you make your way to heaven. The word sanctification is not just a Pentecostal word, my dear Baptist friends. It's a word that means The moment you're saved, that spirit begins to change you, to make you like Jesus. A perfecting begins. It will finish when you're there, but it begins down here. And the greatest evidence that you are a born-again child of God, one of the elect, one of those who is heaven-born, and you're going to heaven, you're heaven-bound, is that you have become a changed person from the day you met Jesus to this day right now. Your mind does not think like it used to think. You don't see like you used to see. You don't hear like you used to hear. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't act like you used to act. You don't live like you used to live. You're not perfect, but something has happened to you. And it's continual and it's progressive And it's making you like Jesus. If your salvation hasn't changed you, you need to change your salvation. Because God doesn't save somebody and let them stay as they are. He loves us as we are, but He also loves us so much He's not going to keep us as we are. He's going to make us like Himself. Now how does this change take place? Well, notice in verse 5, Paul says it comes not just by the Word only, the Word being the Scriptures, but it comes by the Holy Spirit. When God wants to bring a change in His people's life, He does it through two instruments. The first instrument is the Word of God. The Bible. The principles of truth from the Bible. And He takes those principles of truth and then He marries them to the Holy Spirit. So the truth... Word of God, along with the Spirit of God, become the agents that bring about the change of God and the life of a man or woman who is of God. Does that make sense to you? So, this morning, I'm preaching the Word of God to you. I'm teaching you the Word of God. Your Sunday school teacher did that. Your discipleship teachers do that. Your small group leaders do that, hopefully. They're teaching you the Word of God. But that alone is not enough. The Word of God has to be energized. And the Spirit of the living God, when the Word of God is being honored and being correctly taught and preached, the Spirit of God will come into the Word of God and it will give it penetrating power. And it will go not into your ears, but it will bore into your mind, into your heart, into your very being. And when that occurs, change will come. It's the task of a preacher or a teacher to handle the Word of God correctly. It's the task of God, when that is done, to send His Holy Spirit to make it come alive. Sometimes we get too caught up with the man side of it. You see, preachers come in many different sizes and shapes and slants and shades, don't they? And we all have personal preferences. Some of you like to listen to a preacher that's very simple. A, B, C, D, E, F, G type. You know, just basic stuff. Others of you like a more complex preacher who digs down into the Word, who takes one word and preaches 19 sermons on it, who gives you the Hebrew, the Greek, the Arabic, the Latin, and maybe sometimes will tell you what it means in English. Some of you like simple, some of you like complex, some of you like soft-spoken, a man who just speaks softly. Others of you like somebody that pounds and shouts and snorts and spits. (laughs) Some of you like a man that just preaches stationary, doesn't move. He acts as if there's a cliff on either side. Others of you like men who up and down the platform. Man, they wear your eyes out. Some of you like somebody who preaches thematic sermons, topical. Others of you like somebody that just takes a Bible book and expounds it. Some of you like a man that's stoic. Others of you like somebody who's theatrical. I mean, y'all get into that. Some of you like broad strokes. Some of you like those little teeny little pictures. Some of you like the original Bible, the King James Bible. Y'all think about that one. You can let respond later. Others of you like the NIV. Some of you like illustrations. Some of you just say, stick to the word. I can figure it out. Let me ask you a question who's right? Who's right? Nobody. It's not the vehicle, it's what the vehicle says. If the vehicle is the conduit by which the truth comes, it doesn't matter what he does. He can stand on his head, it doesn't matter. If the man of God is or the teacher of God is proclaiming the word of God, no matter how they do it, the spirit of God will show up. And the spirit of God will bring a change among the people of God. And if the man of God is not preaching the Word of God, if the teacher of God is not teaching the Word of God, it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to happen. Some of you had the privilege of watching three Hall of Fame pitchers pitch during your lifetime. Some of you saw Noel and Ryan pitch. You remember Nolan Ryan? Goodness gracious, he could throw a fastball upwards to 100 miles an hour. I mean, that's the only pitch he needed. He didn't really need to do much more than that. The batters would stand up there, and psh, psh, psh. I mean, he could throw that ball, and he was effective. And then you had a guy like Greg Maddox. Y'all remember Greg Maddox's pitch of the Braves? Greg Maddox threw a fastball at about eighty-five miles an hour. That, that's not fast. But Greg Maddux used to throw the baseball on the corners of the plate. He would never throw it down the middle. He would always nibble the corners like a fish nibbles bait. Not fast, just keep it out of reach of the hitter. And he made the Hall of Fame doing that. And then there was a guy like Phil Necro. Y'all remember Phil Necro? He threw a knuckleball. A knuckleball is a dancing ball. It goes about 60 miles an hour. One of our fifth graders probably could throw it that fast. But it does something that other baseballs don't do. It has no rotation on it. It just floats. But it dances as it's coming. So if you're a batter, you're going... It's possible to strike out on three swings in the same pitch. <laughs> he was effective. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Whether you preach like Nolan Ryan or Greg Maddox or, 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 or Phil Nick, ne- it really doesn't matter as long as it's the Word of God. Now, a church that's healthy has chosen people. They're saved people in the midst. A majority of them know Christ. They've been chosen of God because they chose God. And they're being changed. I've been here for 22 years. You know, some of you are more saintly now than when I came. And so am I, by the way. We mellow through the years. We become more like Jesus, hopefully. And then lastly... And we close. A healthy church has chosen people. A healthy church has changed people. But a healthy church also has cheerful people. Has cheerful people. Verses 6 through 8 talk about something. Let's read them together. And you became followers of us. Paul's talking to the Thessalonican Christians. said, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Having received the word of God in much affliction with, help me out now, what's that little three-letter word? Joy. Now, where'd that joy come from? The Holy Ghost. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. How did it sound out? From the joy. And it went not only to Macedonia and Achaia, verse 8, but every place your faith toward to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Wow. You see, you can be on the right track, but if you're not moving on the track, you're not going anywhere. So, you, so a healthy church, in closing, has a chosen people. They're genuinely saved. They, they have a changed people. People that are constantly being matured and changed into the very image of Jesus. And because of that, they're a cheerful people. They're cheerful. Are you a cheerful person? Do you have joy? Does your joy go out of these walls into our Macedonia and Achaia? Does your joy tell people about Jesus and you don't even have to open your mouth? That's what it said there. They didn't even need to speak. When people saw him coming, they said, Goodness gracious, they got something I want. And it was joy. You know, we got too much dog Christianity today. What's that mean? It means some of us look like bulldogs. You know, some of you have that look. I'm calling no names. But but some of us need to put a smile on our face every now and then. And some of us not only look like bulldogs, we, we talk like bulldogs. Oh, how you do? Oh. I sit on your... And some of us bite like bulldogs. You don't believe it? Get around them. They're gnawing on your arm and gnawing on your leg with negativity. Some of us dig up dirt like bulldogs. And we spread it around. Did you hear? I got a prayer request. Did you hear? (laughs) Oh, we Baptists are slick, aren't we? Let's pray for that good for nothing pastor. Let's pray for that jerk over there. I mean that saint over there. Oh, we, we do so much. And then some of us run after things like dogs do. Run after what? The isms that come by. We live in a day and age in which so much junk is being presented in the church. And God's people who have no discernment just run after it barking. They think it's the latest thing. So and so said, give me $5,000 and you'll get a seed. And you take that seed and plant it in your backyard and you'll get a bunch of money this year. Folks, if you got $5,000, why don't you just give it to me? <laughs> or better, if you want to do even something, why not just throw it in the trash can? You'll get as much return doing that as you would send it to these birds. But you know, some of God's people are constantly running after every Tom, Dick, and Harry thing that comes down the pike. And some of it's just flat-out right stupid. Do you know there was a church, I don't even know why I'm telling you this story, but there was a church that said, the the pastor said, God spoke to me. So they pulled a car up to the window of the church. They put jumper cables on the battery of the car, run them inside to the church. And the pastor told the people, God has told me he wants to fill you with the spirit. And it's going to be through these jumper cables. I'm not kidding you, I wouldn't make this up. I'm not smart enough to do that. And if they wanted to test their faith, they had to give a certain amount of money, then they come up there and would take their two fingers and he'll put the things on. They got a charge. Now can you believe people would actually Follow that kind of nonsense? They do it all the time. And we wonder why we have no joy. Joy comes, listen, in closing, when you make a decision as a chosen, changed people to follow the leadership God has given you. And that leadership chosen by you is following Jesus. You respect the leadership and trust the leadership that God has given you. And if you don't respect and trust them, you run them off. But if you're going to keep them, you respect and trust them. Because they're following Jesus. And when you respect them and obey Jesus, guess what the Spirit of God is going to give you? Joy. And that joy will not only become conspicuous people will see it it'll be on your face it'll be contagious people will want it people will actually want it because they'll see something in you they can't get out there and buy at Walmart they'll see joy now maybe today as I close You're here today and you're saying, I'm saved, but my life has never been changed. I drank alcohol before I was saved, I drink it now. I smoked dope before I was saved, I smoke it now. I lied, cheat, and steal before I was saved, I do it now. I cussed before I was saved, I cuss now. I never wanted to go to church before I was saved, I don't want to come now. But I'm saved. May I say to you, you're not. And some of you need to trade that salvation for one of God's. I don't know where you got your salvation, but it's not taking you to heaven. You need to get God's salvation that saves you and changes you. Some of you need that this morning. And I'm going to invite you to come and get it. God says here it is, you come get it. Secondly, some of you are saved. You are chosen. You have been changed. But you've lost your joy in the journey. Maybe the joy has been lost because you're not following the leadership. Maybe it's because you're not following Jesus. Maybe it's because you're not following either. Or both. Maybe it's because you're not following the word of God. You see, we're very smart. We figure if we do 80% of what God says, then he'll let us slide on the other 20%. It doesn't work that way. God speaks to us and he says, I want you to be in perfect obedience to me in every area of your life. And if you're not, I eventually will take your joy to get your attention. And the longer you're a Christian, the more he expects of you. Don't we expect more of an adult than we do a two-year-old? I kind of expect a two-year-old to go, "Ah, ah, ah." but I certainly hope you don't. (laughs) The longer we're in the faith, the more God expects of us. And maybe some of you have lost your joy. The only way you're going to get it back is I surrender all. Lord, I've been, I know what you told me to do, and I won't do it. I know that. But, Lord, I, I now surrender to you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Let him work. Chosen people, a changed people, a cheerful people. That's a healthy church. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.